Good evening, good evening, good evening. Gather round. And welcome to Emmaus Way. My name is Ben. I'm on staff here, and we have gathered here tonight uh, in the midst of this hectic weekend of graduations and family and all sorts of things particularly in this town. Um, if you're newest to Mayish Way, you've joined us in the midst of a sort of peculiar uh, season. We've been sitting these past three weeks in a space of reflection and farewell as our founding pastor, Tim Condor, prepares to step off staff at the end of this month. And so he's going to be pursuing a new season of life outside the work of professional ministry and we're sort of, in many ways, ushering him into that tonight. And he has a love letter that he's going to read to this community give in some fashion. Maybe maybe I'll preach it or sing it, dance it. Okay. But we're sort of, yeah. I'm sure many of you have come here precisely for that purpose tonight, but if you hadn't, you've walked into a really, what we hope is a beautiful time of celebration and farewell. And we're going to have a much bigger, more intentional, more grander, maybe more, you know, uh, spirited in various ways, celebratory event this fall. But, uh, He's going to, we're sort of ushering Tim off tonight into a summer of rethinking and rest and, and yeah, reimagining and excited to do that tonight. But before that, out of, out of, Tim sent me this call together and I said, yep, that's, that seems about right. So here it is from Henry Nowen to bring us together tonight. Hospitality wants to offer friendship without binding the guests and the freedom without leaving her alone. From the point of view of a Christian spirituality, it's important to stress that every human being is called upon to be a healer. Therefore, hospitality means primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. It's not to lead our neighbor into a corner where there are no alternatives left, but to open a wide spectrum of options for choice and commitment. Not an educated intimidation with good books, stories, and works, but the liberation of fearful hearts so that words can find roots and bear ample fruit. It's not a method of making God and our way into the criteria of happiness, but the opening of an opportunity to others to find their God and their way. The paradox of hospitality is that it wants to create emptiness, not fearfully, but a friendly emptiness where strangers can enter and discover themselves as created free free to sing their own songs, speak their own languages, dance their own dances, free also to leave and follow their own vacations. Hospitality is not a subtle invitation to adopt the lifestyle of the host, but a gift of a chance for a guest to find their own. And as Tim has always reminded us, there is not only one side of hospitality. The other side, equally important, is confrontation. To be receptive to the stranger doesn't imply being neutral nobodies. We're not hospitable when we leave our house to strangers to let them use it any old way. An empty house is not a hospitable house. When we want to be really hospitable, we not only have to receive strangers, but also to confront them by an unambiguous presence, not hiding ourselves behind neutrality, but showing our ideas, opinions, and lifestyle clearly and distinctly. No real dialogue is possible between somebody and nobody. We can enter into communication with the other only when our own life choices, attitudes, and viewpoints offer the boundaries that challenge strangers to become aware of their own position and explore it critically. If you spent any time around Emmaus Way, that probably sounds 
really formative and familiar. Um, and I am personally grateful that it's been a space shaped by Henry Nouwen and Tim's reading of them. Uh, but also, it's Rhody and the kids. And we are in like the, what? This is Ascension Sunday, are you talking about that today? So we're doing a Pentecost party next week, so we're gonna, do the, we're gonna learn the biblical story of Pentecost. Tonight. Leading so, into the Pentecost. Excellent. But yes. one more week of this yes. community song. Please lead us. Thank you, Rody and kids, and everybody. Wow, you got really used to that one. Good job. So off to talk about Pentecost. Rody and the kids go. And a couple of quick reminders. Don't want to spend a lot of time on announcements tonight, but a couple of things that definitely are worth mentioning. One would be that May 16th, this Wednesday, is a big day for education and organizing and politic in North Carolina. We've got a bunch of teachers, including some in this community, headed to Raleigh to protest and in Durham the schools are closed that day and those two things together have opened a lot of opportunities for communities of faith to gather around. Molly do you want to say a couple of what those are? Yeah so if you would like to pack, um, help pack 20,000 meals The second thing is we have our quarterly-ish Ecclesia Business of the Church storytelling, working out life together meeting next week. Um, and that takes place during this gathering. Two thi couple of things about that. One, we have, in the recent past, we've started pushing that into and being basically entirely the worship gathering. That will continue. We have also recently turned it into a potluck at the end, and we are not going to do that next week. So there will be no potluck, but there will be an ecclesia. A lot of stuff being talked about, including coming up to the end of our budget year, and my one of my several doppelgangers, Kyle Clark Sutton, and his and Solomon actually is also kind of a doppelganger in a way. Hey everybody! So for those of you who don't know me, I'm a member of Lead Team, and really just if you consider this your community. Um, really want to encourage you to come out next week and join in the conversation about sort of the next year, the next five years of Emmaus Way. Um, we are wrapping up our budget year, and our budget this year is 110000 
Um, we are at about 105,000. Super exciting. Thank you for your partnership in supporting the community, supporting our staff is really what, it, what the vast majority of our money goes to. And um, Lead Team's really excited to talk about uh, next, next year. Uh, we're, we're raising our budget um, and there's sort of two themes of, not the only two themes, but two of the themes that we've really been thinking a lot about this year in planning the budget is, one is kids, and I think Will uh, announced last week that we're gonna be bringing Rhodey uh, on staff as a full-fledged staff member, part-time, um, but, but sort of fully into the fold, and we're super excited about that. And then the second theme is really sustainability. Um, you all probably know, a lot of you know that our staff, um, this is really a labor of love, this is a calling, they don't get paid well, and um, we, we want to sort of take the first steps towards um, rectifying that and, and bringing sort of our staff into, um, yeah, we want to start rectifying that and we're going to talk a lot about that next week, so please join us. Give five thousand to go. There's there's a bowl on the table over there that will always accept your contributions. There's also a way to give online, and you can also mail us gifts at an address that you can find on our website. Thanks for Kyle and lead team and their leadership. They will be leading that conversation next week, and so yeah. And if you have any interest in Mass Way, that is a good place to learn about yeah many many things that are going on in our life together. Um, I think at this point, because it is the season it is, Tim, you're going to lead us in a farewell other than your own. Um, so. so tonight we're saying farewell to Joel and Emily McLean and Emerson, of course. Hey, Emerson, you guys want to come up and uh, let us say farewell to you guys? Gosh, I hate this. The uh, life in Emmaus Way, life in Durham, life in Chapel Hill. Uh, we, one of the things that's really special about this community is uh, this isn't a bunch of people who come to church together. These are uh, a family and a group of friends, and we're really excited for these guys for what lies ahead. But we're going to miss them so much, including you, Miss Emerson, because you're so sweet. Um, Emily, uh, Joel, you guys want to tell us uh, what's next? Um, sure. Uh, so I've been in grad school here at Duke, and I graduated last night, and I have, I, <laughs> um, and we're headed off to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where I got a job teaching at a satellite campus of Emory. So we're excited, but really sad. Super swanky job, uh, which they're excited about. Joel has been pretending to leave for about three weeks, right? We said farewell pub group, and then there you were. Uh, but Joel, tell us what, what, will, what will your job mean? Uh, uh, same job, just working from home instead of the office. So. And, and then maybe back every now and then to pub group, you yeah. know, some meetings, stuff like that. So we are really going to miss these guys. What would be for just... Uh, this whole group of people. Uh, Emily was our lay leader for a couple years, was on our lead team. Uh, Joel's been central to our, our pub group. These guys have been involved in every aspect of our life together. What can we be thinking about, praying about, hoping for? What are, I know you're, you've got a house and things like that, but what are the transition things that we can be thoughtful of? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, when we came to Durham, I didn't expect to find a community where Joel and I both felt like 
well-loved and known. Um, and I don't know, like, I find it really hard to believe that exists anywhere else other than Emmaus Way. So if you're... Where people won't like it. <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> um, but yeah, that for, that's my biggest concern or transition that I'm anticipating being difficult. And Joel, you're, it's going to be changed for you working at home. Any, any other big things to, for us to have in mind? Uh, no, I think we share similar thoughts, concerns. So it'd be, uh, it'd be an adventure. All right. And Percy's good too? Yeah, you gotta, the, 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 the dog thing's a big thing. Uh, well, we love you guys. We really love you guys. And y'all have been precious to us. And it's going to be, like we say, it's going to be different around here without you. And, uh, and what's beautiful about Emmaus Way is probably somebody's going to walk in the door in the fall that will change our lives. But you've been our people, and we've been your people. And we really hope you find those people uh, in terms of Atlanta. So we love you dearly. Can I pray for you? Yeah, were you going to say something else? No. Yeah. Uh, let's pray. God, this is a, a family that we have uh, loved, watch, come here, form. Uh, we've uh, been through uh, near miss wrecks. We've been through um, just wonderful conversations. We've benefited from Emily's leadership uh, in so many ways in this community. Joel has been a constant friend, a weekly friend at Pub Group. Uh, uh, we love these guys, and we know that your love is greater than our love, and, and our humble request is to help build the family that they need around them in Atlanta. We know Joel's family's there, but the friends and the people that they can share life with and uh, enjoy, think, hope, pray, ask questions with, and do all the things that they need to do. May you be deeply with them, and may they be deeply aware that we uh, don't consider them leaving, just relocating, but still part of our family in every way, form, or fashion. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me give you guys both a hug. You too. That was a good hug. <laughs> Thanks, Tim, for leading us out. McLean's are staying at my house right now, and it feels like a grand lie, you know? They're just right there, and they're about to be gone. Anyway. Um, as Susan Band gets it, you guys start com coming on up to lead. I just wanted to, like, this is not a time when we're going to spend a lot of time talking about our Emmaus Way stories in relationship to Tim. So I thought I would just sort of insert that into space with a prop. Tim introduced prop comedy last week, so I've got <laughs> my own. It was about 10 years ago that I was like, yeah, after a lot of like persistent violence against my notion that the Christianity I grew up could in any way be for me, I got desperate enough to start reading about the emergent church. And I looked through this book, and one of the first thing I did was like, who's writing this stuff? And then in there was like this Tim Conder guy who had a fledgling church in Durham, North Carolina. And that's how I even knew such a thing existed. And it felt really, really whiskey. I figured y'all were probably apostate. You probably, you probably were what I thought you were. But Amanda and I came here and visited here once, and we never went anywhere else. And I think for so many of us, Tim, Tim sits in our stories in that way um, as the gateway to something new that was possible, um, that a, a different sense, a story that he was telling about what the church could be, where God was at work in it, where we could find our place in that. Um, and that I think tonight, in the most beautiful of ways, we can celebrate that that has ceased to be a story Tim told, and it has become a, come a story that's taken on flesh.
and a story that gathers weekly around a table and a story that has grown to incorporate all of our stories. So if there is sadness tonight, it is overwhelmed by gratitude. And if there is ending tonight, it is overwhelmed by continuation. Um, that one foot in front of the other, sometimes leading, sometimes following, always together, we are still and will continue to be on a journey with Tim and Mimi and all of us that is a far piece from being over. So I think Suze has some great journeying sort of songs to lead us into that tonight, and I won't hold her back any longer. As we came to bring music for you all as you are celebrating some transitions and saying some hard goodbyes, uh, you know, I, I talked to Ben and wanted to make sure we picked some E-Way classics. Uh, but also in here are a lot of words of wisdom about what it is to be a human being who sees himself reflected in other human beings and uh, is never trying to go alone, but rather uh, working together all the time.
Love me. 
Stay. 
I called Ben this afternoon at about, uh, it's so right, Suze, at about, I don't remember, 2.30, 2.45, and said, I am on the side of the road, out of gas. It's a classic sign of being a little too busy, but Suze, you're right. It's a prophetic answer to prayer. I prayed, Lord, please, please don't let me have to set up one more time in Emmaus Way. <laughs> and, 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 and the car went from a quarter tank all the way down to zero immediately. So that's exactly what happened. But uh, it has been a really wild weekend of graduations. And uh, uh, Emily, I don't know how you felt, but that the hooding thing was kind of a, a thing, right? It, it, it was a, a different kind of moment than what you're used to. And, uh, and to be here with you guys this evening is, is great. Uh, in fact, I, I will say this. Um, in the whole school side of things, I, you know, some of you guys know that the program that I'm in, I got into when I was 31 and about a month before starting decided not to to, to matriculate, uh, it was, life was too full and too much was going on and all of those things. And you would think, you would think that, you know, you're driving in the morning a little bit early to, you know, get your little card to give to the provost and the, meet your advisor and friends for hooding. You would think that's what you were thinking about, right? This, well, this thing tonight was exactly what I was thinking about. My mind, it literally, when I pulled into the Smith Center, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm graduating. And, and then about two-thirds through a very long ceremony, it dawned on me again because I was in the very back. Oh, that's right, I'm graduating, but I was thinking about tonight and uh, uh, drove back for kind of a, a, a party, and I was thinking about tonight. And so it was a really interesting thing to have both those things at the same time and see what was drawing your mind and attention, and you were, you were definitely that. So um, I think you're safe tonight. I did not bring any whiskey, so there will not be uh, any more rampant drinking during the worship service or any of that until next week. No, right, Molly? I mean, no promises. <laughs> so, I mean, who knows, uh, right? Um, so, t- tonight's, as, and the text that, we, that Ben read surely was one that if you've been around, Susan, how many years have you heard that? 30 years, probably. And it's, it's a very, very, very familiar text. Uh, Henry Nowen's reaching out. Um, and that text on hospitality, particularly the naming of receptivity and honesty as something that is utterly transformative uh, to our lives is without a doubt the original doctrine of Emmaus Way. Uh, it's the thing we thought about, it's the thing that gave us our name, um, but I would also say I still believe it's the doctrine that defines our life together now. Um, 13 years ago, at some point, very early dialogue, or maybe before we were doing dialogues, we were reading Luke 24, and it was the story of Jesus' disciples on the Emmaus Road. Um, It's a very familiar story. It's a a bloody Easter for them. Their leader and teacher had just been crucified by the state and by the people, and there had been strange reports of his resurrection. And in their grief and in their amazement, they met a stranger who taught them all things uh, along the road that the scriptures had said, but they couldn't recognize this stranger. Who was this man? He was familiar, but he was distant, uh, and they weren't able to see through the shroud of their confusion, uh, their fear, and their unbelief. But in a moment of hospitality, they invite the stranger in to break bread with them. And what is a powerful Eucharistic scene in the New Testament, this stranger breaks the bread, and their friend, their leader, the Messiah, Jesus, is revealed to them. 
The text today is a continuation of that Luke 24 text. It's a, an Ascension Sunday text. But we see Jesus in this text, uh, we're not going to read it tonight, but doing the exact same thing post-resurrection this time, fully revealed to his disciples, and he's explaining the scriptures. And he's still explaining them about himself because what he is proclaiming and who he is in body is something that is counterintuitive to the max. But he tells them this um, as, as one direction before he leaves. I'm sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then later in Acts 1, just this very next scene, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after Jesus ascends, leaving their world in a bodily form, they take those words with utter seriousness. They are not the unbelievers that they once were uh, at the moment of Jesus' death. They have been transformed at that point by the gospel of Jesus. So they do what they were told to do. They wait. They do not leave the city and in a second great moment of hospitality, in this just small portion of the text, they welcome the power of God's Spirit at Pentecost, which was promised to them. Thirteen years ago, we read this scene and we heard a call that defined our nascent community. We aspired to be a hospitable community. We boldly, having read that now in text how many times, said we're going to try our best to be receptive and we're going to try our best to be honest. Um, we hoped to be honest to the body of Jesus in community and at the table, and we hoped to be receptive to God's spirit. And this, I believe, is what we mean when you hear us say this every week, that we want to be captivated by the gospel. We want now what we've always wanted, to be transformed by the infinitely, universally, and eternally hospitable gospel of Jesus. This is a gospel that I believe is not confined to a single tradition of Christianity. And as you look around the room, there's a lot here. It's also not confined, I believe, only to the words and teachings of Jesus. And as a community, we have been continually seeking others that proclaim that same vision, that same hope of hospitality turned into mission uh, in the language of their own songs and in the movements of their own dances. When we talk about being scrappy, one of our favorite phrases about ourselves being a scrappy people, people who venture out to the borders and edges of bodies and thoughts, people who stand for the frightful enormity of God's justice, we sense in the core of our prayers and our practices that being scrappy in our relationships means being insistent and undaunted in our hospitality. Scrappy relationships require scrappy, unrelenting hospitality. And those have been words, a vision that has shaped our life. So as I thought about just this kind of final night on staff, um, I just thought, you know, the thing that I most want to offer you guys is truly a love letter to this community. Um, Suze has almost done it to me. Last week you did a song that you were not allowed to repeat because I was crying by the time I got up here. Uh, you almost did it tonight, but I, I want to see if I can make my way through this. I, I, I might be able to do this. Um, it's just a love letter to you guys in this community. Um, and this is a story, I think, about our, our scrappiness together. 
So here's a few things that I love. I love that you took this aspiration to hospitality so very seriously. This meant from day one embracing an immediate theological diversity in our community. It meant forming our worship around an open table and an open dialogue. And as I've said many times, the table, we kind of slipped in there at some point but, uh, early on, but the dialogue people struggled with. They were used to being told things about faith, but hospitality drove us to those practices. They drove us to ultimately living into political action and talking about the church as a politic, things like Durham Can and organizing. Um, it led us to, for many people here, who this felt entirely right. There, we would have people say, you know, I, if I have to choose between my Bible and my politics as it relates to uh, hospitality, the receiving of all people, LGBTQ people, I'm going to choose my heart and I'm going to choose my politics no matter what that Bible says to them. Uh, but it, we read it and we thought about it and it led us to receive everybody in this community. Um, and I'm not trying to say that those practices alone are remarkable. But what was beautiful for this community, what was saturated with grace, is that they were new for many people uh, at, at some point in their community life. So these things that we landed in, like open table and open inclusion and dialogues and political action and all those things were not things that we naturally assumed we would do at first, but there were places that we were led and I think there were the places that we landed because of hospitality. You were willing to practice and become what so many in our community had never even imagined before or even seen before. If you remember the early days, I sometimes like to refer to them as the ethnography days, is we had a different church team and somebody studying this like every other month, right? Somebody was here with a, a video camera or a recorder or we had ethnographers live with us for six months and a year and we were an oddity. And we were an oddity that no one in this community could have imagined uh, beforehand. I don't think anybody would have aspired to be part of that oddity, but it became so natural to us. Um, we were transformed by hospitality, and it was remarkable. And I love that you took that so seriously. Here's another thing I love. I love that we apologized when we got it wrong and we failed in our hospitality. Because believe me, we have gotten it wrong before. We've tried hard and failed, made the wrong decision, didn't know what the right thing to do. Uh, but truly, if you've been around churches, you know this. It is easier to hide behind norms of practice, unquestioned doctrines, and fixed polities. These commitments can limit decisions that you have to make, and they can provide rapid justifications when you fail. But we together sought to explore new practices, to question the unquestioned doctrines, ultimately to worship in a manner that did not center belief and not to adopt historical polities. And that made it oh so complicated. Ben can tell you, leading a lead team when there's no polities is hard. Um, and we failed in our hospitality on many occasions. We received some who demanded that we not be honest with them. And 
our hospitality, our efforts to be hospitable has broken our hearts from time to time. But we received many, many, many more who demonstrated our own failures in hospitality and our own imagination of the gospel. Like we love to say, this dialogue changes every time a new person comes into the community. And many, many, many times those new voices showed us something that we didn't see and needed to see. I think every lay leader in this community, see if I get them right, oh my goodness, Jenny, Dave, Ben, SK, Emily, Laura, and Kyle. Did I get everybody? Kyle, your time is coming, but I think all of them have sat on this stool at least one point and openly described a failure of our community and its processes. I still hope, and I would love to read it again and see it again, but if you've not read or heard SK's amazing letter after we officially adopted our posture as an open and affirming community, that was beautiful. It captured who we were as a people who try to be hospitable all the time, but don't always do it. And what's been amazing about this place is the leaders have led with that first, right? The people who've been in charge of the community have said those things. And of course, I know that I have led in most, if not all, of those failures. I've been the voice behind the leader saying, hey, why don't we do this? Um, but it's been amazing how gracious the people who lead this community have been. Here's a third love. I love that Mimi did so much to make this community happen. <laughs> we laugh about her driving Elizabeth's truck, how many times, your dad's truck, all over town picking up sofas and art and all sorts of stuff. And for Mimi not taking that job that she really wanted to take because there was another job that gave her the ability to help make me become a bivocational person. And for giving up so many Sundays for those soccer matches around the state and in the southeast when it was too late for me to arrive or too late for me to go. And there's so much more I could say about that, but it can be said with absolute, absolute confidence that there would not have been an Emmaus way without Mimi. It's coffee time. <laughs> Not only were Mimi and Keenan and Kendall hospitable to this vision, but some of you here, there's a few of you who've been here from the very beginning, loved me enough to believe in a vision that sounded nonsensical. And you did more than just suspend judgment. Like, maybe it'll happen, I'll watch. You did the opposite. You embodied that vision and constructed in a manner that went beyond every hope that I had. That was the best part for me, to realize that this was like, I wasn't doing it anymore. It was beyond what I could have thought for, uh, thought about. It was just being done by people who caught it. You received every failure and foible that I brought to this community and allowed it to be a space where I could, in the words of Henry Nouwen, discover myself to be created free to define my own position and to sing far too many songs or far too many of my own songs. You accepted profanity from the pulpit and it seemed like always when it was a holiday and your parents were visiting, right? You endured way too many Duke jokes, uh, Lord of the Rings references, 
ad nauseum. The wire, a prayer for Owen Meany, all the texts that formed my spirits, you heard them again and again and again. And at least you have faked enjoying them. You let me speak with my quick wit in the dialogue when I really should have paused and thought. You suffered, and this is one of my greatest weaknesses, my eternal pastoral optimism for transformation, even when it involved individuals who were exhausting the community to the point of exasperation. You let me drive up sunburned and exhausted at 5 p.m. on many a Sunday afternoon after multi-hour drives from some distant soccer field that Keenan and Kendall were playing on. And this was remarkable. You let me be a dad first on many occasions during those precious high school years. Some of you aren't there yet, but you'll know it, right? You'll see the empty nest coming and you'll know these years I'm not going to get back. Right? And the church is often an enemy to those years, but not in a mass way. You let me be a dad, and you let Mimi and Keenan and Kendall be a part of the community rather than a designated pastoral family that existed above or under or outside of the community. Um, you bound me up when ministry broke my heart. I think of conversations, one with Elizabeth, one with SK, where that was, I was at the point of like, I'm not sure I can do this tomorrow. Not as much as next week because we know each other. We love each other so much. When it hurts, it hurts. And you bound me up so many times when my heart was breaking. You invited me into the most sacred and delicate spaces of your lives. You trusted me to talk unsupervised with suspicious and difficult parents and other family members. That could have gone the other way for sure. We cried through many marriages, broken beyond repair, and you gave me the privilege of walking you back to the altar when you met that person who would be your partner that would transform your life. We joined each other in addictive, broken, and sorrowful spaces. We rejoiced through childbirth, and we prayed together through infertility. I've baptized some of your kids. I have drank far too much whiskey at your weddings, Dave Teeson. <laughs> that one seems to come to mind. I've joined in the pain of raising your kids and sat in some of the most beautiful moments of these precious kids' lives. It feels like you've let me be present to every joy and disappointment, but you've also been so gracious when I couldn't be there. You let me pursue this ridiculously crazy dream to pursue a doctorate and endured my absences and distractions that went with joining this mistress that demanded nothing short of obsession at times. You let me be me for good or for ill, and I will always love you for that. Another love. I love what you did to my faith. Here comes the required of prayer for Owen Meany element of the night. In John Irving's brilliant opening paragraph to that book, an angry and still heartbroken narrator declares that he was doomed to remember a boy with a broken voice and ultimately declares that he is a Christian in his own eclectic, defined, doesn't sound like a Christian kind of way because of that boy. Well, I can tell you without a doubt, it is safe to say that I am a Christian because of you. You were the text and the body that I never expected in my life. 
When we started Emmaus Way, I was so very disappointed. After 20 years of ministry and two large churches, so disappointed and so angry at organized Christianity. It's unbelievably inconsistent hermeneutics. It's preciously formed doctrine that seemed to pull it all together, except the gospel. And it's inactivity and complicity in a world of profound injustices and inequities. This community was a bit of a Hail Mary for me. But you were the balm to that anger and disappointment and the community that walked me right into hope. I was never an evangelist. You know, honestly, I just never could be that dishonest. Uh, that seemed to preclude evangelism in every form or fashion. But I became one when I experienced the love of this community and found myself telling everyone that I knew that it could be. There could be people that would receive you. There could be people that talk about hope. And there could be people that would embrace your tradition or your body without some expectation that you become like theirs. Um, you turned me into the very thing I said I would never be. Um, finally, um, I love the future that lies ahead for this community. Um, if I could take one second to be prophetically bossy, I think Emmaus Way is in a really special place. Um, I think that you will do something incredibly special with children and teenagers, something that challenges the hegemony of the nuclear family, something that reimagines formation, something that restores art, politic, and faithful courage to the raising of our children. This comes from a 13-year youth pastor who saw lots and lots and lots of unfaithful fear related to kids, right? And I see this community doing incredibly hopeful things that others will say, could we not just join in on that? I think that's going to happen. And Rhody is unbelievable. What a gift to this community. Uh, I mean, she has been on, she's in, been in staff meetings when she's seen us fight, cry, be silent, talk for however many hours. Uh, we can do a four-hour staff meeting. And for some reason, she wants to work here. It's a good sign to me. Um, you know, this community is leading in Durham organizing um, I'm not sure we've scratched the surface on that, but we were sitting around, Molly and I were talking about this, and this community has exceeded its pledge in terms of people present at organizing events, I think every time but one in three years. And we were sitting in a little mundane meeting on Thursday night, and everybody had one person, but there was Molly and Tim Wooten and Tim. This has been a community that has been entirely committed that some of us have to be involved with politic. And for those of you who have been around for 13 years, the craziest thing that we said we would do is we said that we would be part of substantive, structural, social change. And no one is usually a part of those things. And we have been a part of it. We have been in the room when the police chief was fired. We have been in the space when the school board has found money that they didn't think they had. We have been able to do those things. Um, I also think 
this came out of a conversation. This is a, 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 maybe a prophetically bossy conversation with SK last week. But we were talking about something that I think could be really special about this community. You see a lot of communities like ours that are progressive, and they tend to be highly contemplative or highly activistic. But you don't often see both of those. I said this last week, one of my biggest gulps of whiskey was the conversation that we didn't have was in some ways the contemplative conversation that was so close to being the dominant conversation after three months in the life of this community. And SK and I were talking about this and said, what if, given her giftedness and the giftedness of many in this room, this became a place where people who are actively out in the margins also find the ability to receive the kind of spiritual resilience that will make them happen. I could see us, that's one more thing that we could do that we could share with the rest of the kind of faith community around us. So I, that's something I could see very easily, easily happening. And when I talk about politic, I'm not talking about just can. Ben's work at the coalition is beautiful work. It's the kind of poetic embodiment of what people of faith should be doing. We should care when somebody dies. It should never be blase news. It should never be something that doesn't matter. And we're positioned as a group of people to lead and follow in those things that are incredibly beautiful. This may be taking too much credit, but I do think that Emmaus Way changed the conversation in some ways related to art and worship. When I first started this community and we first started bringing in the group of professional artists, the, one, the first group that we met, I was horrified by the stories that they told. And people like Jenny and others were committed to this being a place that was hospitable to the arts and a place that, that thought about how can we be a patron of what is beautiful, not just a partaker of it when we need a great illustration or a great setup to a sermon, right? Could we do that differently? And it's been beautiful to watch that, but I suspect on the corner of the meetings that I've been in that that's something that lies ahead for us is a, a continued rethinking of what does it mean to be an artistic community because those threads come together. Mission and politic contemplative prayer, reflection, restoration, and the creation of beauty, you pull one of those out and the other two become misshapen. And finally, I'll say this. I love how we're going to be led. The staff team that we've had, I've said this for many years, I had worked for 20 years in two other churches um, and with lots of people, some who were famous, and I never worked with a group of friends. Uh, staff meeting was always somewhere between armed, armed conflict and passive denial of, of what was going on around you. And in a mass way, this has been a community of friends. Uh, the, the, our, the reason our staff meetings go for four hours is that we really like seeing each other and once a week isn't enough. I've never heard another church talk about their staff meetings in that way. I also think that hiring Molly was an incredible gift. I mean, it may have been good for you, but it was certainly good for me, right? One of the things that I dreamed about was leaving 
whenever that would be. And we talked early on it was going to be seven years. It ended up being 13. But I always thought, you know, would it be okay to leave with a leader in place, right? Rather than some sort of crazed transition that, that made it all so very, very hard. And so I'm really, really, really thankful that Molly's here. I have learned so much in terms of, I have a dated seminary degree. There are no books from my seminary days that are on the shelves that I can reach. Every now and then I give one away as a joke. Uh, but, but, <laughs> It was a different era and a different time. Uh, David Vanderham, all the critical theory that you read as a doctoral student, that stuff wasn't written when I was a seminarian. I didn't own a computer when I got a master's degree. And so Emmaus Way has been my re-education, but Molly has brought a powerful passion for thinking theologically about our life as a community while embodying that in her actions. So I'm excited about what that makes it easy in one sense to leave is, is what lies ahead for you guys. But I did, I have a gift for Molly that I want to give her as something is just for me, my way of passing whatever. I don't know what I have to pass on because you've been the community that's driven this. But if there's anything that I have to pass on, I want to pass it on to Molly. So I want to give this gift to her. Molly, will you help me with it? Yeah. I'm a little nervous. I have no idea. I have no what idea. I know. I mean, it could go a lot of list of inappropriate. It could go a lot of ways. Telling what this is, uh, you can tell it's a book. Um, so is it? This is actually this gift is a placeholder because the idea for the perfect gift, at least from my vantage point, or what I wanted to give Molly, came to me on Tuesday, and so I went like crazy finding it, and I found it. Uh, but it, 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 it was, had about a 50% chance to make it today. But if you'll open this, I'll explain okay. what that is. Um, so you guys know I have a great love for Graham Greene and his book, a Power, The a Power and Glory. So I found a first edition, uh, Power and Glory, from Molly. This is just a $2 uh, uh, Graham Greene off my shelf. But I, the reason I wanted to give that to Molly was a couple things. One is that a this church, this family is a first addition to me in many ways. There's things that are normal to us that still aren't normal to others. In many ways, we were kind of a classic at the first printing, and so that meant a lot to me. Um, and one of the beliefs that held us together has been stories, that we love telling stories. And this has been a community that every time you come in, your story is invited, whether it's the dialogue, the piece, the table, or whatever's in between, your story has been welcome. And the, uh, uh, the power and the glory is a, is a story. It's a narrative about a changed life. And finally, as I said last week and embodied in my rampant alcoholness, um, is that I've always seen myself in that language of the, the whiskey priest, right? The idea that there's something about me that serves even when I'm aware of my brokenness. And so I wanted to give that to Molly as just a reminder that your brokenness in any way, form, or fashion, and there will be those heartaches. There are those weeks where you just like, I cannot believe that that just happened, um, that in some ways your brokenness will be gift to us. So you, you can, <laughs> the real book is on its way, but it's there for you. Yeah, yeah.